Welcome back to Public Address Radio on Radio Live. Australian Lynn White is not your archetypal picture of an animal rights advocate. For one thing, she's a former police officer, but she gets results. And she's been here speaking at the National Animal Rights Conference. She's with us now. Well, welcome, Lynn. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Now, how does one go from being a police officer to an animal rights advocate? Because usually the twain don't meet, do they? Well, I'm not sure because I think both issues you are representing victims and certainly for 20 years they were human victims and then I had a, an awakening as to what was happening to animals in the world that was being hidden primarily from us and that was created a very dramatic shift in my life focus and the last 10 years have been dedicated to animal advocacy. How do you see the, re- the relationship between human rights and animal rights? Do you see them as the same thing? Well... I think it's all about acknowledging the interests of others and, and certainly there's growing awareness of that animals are sentient beings and that what we share in common being the fact that we feel fear and pain and, and various emotions means that we need to be acknowledging their interests more and, uh, and certainly I know in, in this country and in Australia unfortunately that animals raised for food are quite often denied the protection of, of laws that companion animals um, receive and, and this has been a key focus for my work um, coming from a policing background where everyone gained equal representation and equal protection under the law it was just such an injustice to see that, that animals weren't give, getting similar protection. So is there, is there a, a declaration of animal rights as such that, that, that animal advocates agree on? Not necessarily. I think there are enormously different philosophies in this movement. Um, I think everyone works towards the same goal but in different ways and that's reducing or ending animal cruelty but as I say one of the interesting things about working in this field is that there are different philosophies. There is an interesting paradox isn't there with animals that are bred to be killed the fact that they must be treated well along the way. I mean you see this argument with uh, you know with hens that are bred or chickens that are bred for uh, for the pot um, they don't often get a very nice life but in the end they get killed anyway. Yeah look I think it's really interesting that the animals that we've got to know get legal protection and the animals that we love get legal protection but those that we don't want to know about because they're going to get killed and eaten um, are denied that and I think you know we've been conditioned to think of animals in categories as to the role that they play in our lives rather than considering the fact that they do suffer equally but if you're an animal you certainly want to be um, born into the category of friend not food that's for sure. Anything that doesn't fit into that category a fish for example do you, do you care about the welfare of fish? Oh certainly look um, and certainly in certain states of Australia fish receive legal protection because there is acknowledgement that fish suffer and they're probably the greatest group that out of all around the world that's actually denied um, acknowledgement of their suffering and legal protection. Now you've had a very big last six weeks because you've, you've had a big win. You stopped the live cattle shipments from Australia to Indonesia. I, I think the interesting thing about that is that, that what really nailed it from what I can tell is the fact that there were pictures on the Four Corners television program. We had something similar here with factory pork. It seems that the key is often showing people you can tell them all you know all you like but when you show the conditions that animals are kept in suddenly people pay attention I think that's certainly the case and I th- it's unfortunate I think that um, animal welfare groups or animal protection groups end up being the ones that actually have to reveal the truth what was documented in Indonesia was just so horrendous that um, there had been an outpouring of grief and rage in Australia that has been unprecedented when it comes to animal welfare issues the animals in Indonesia were f- filmed being whipped, being beaten, being maimed. For what reason? For what purpose? 
Well, to be honest, one of the great problems is that Australia has been supplying cattle that they had no capacity to handle humanely because they are large um, boss indicus beasts from the north of Australia that see a human being probably once a year. So they're quite wild. And so to supply these animals to facilities where there's no infrastructure to be able to handle them humanely meant that the Indonesians were resorting to all sorts of pain techniques to move them. And that was horrendous. But, you know, standing there and filming this, my anger was not directed at the Indonesians. It was directed at our live trade. You know, we had even supplied restraining devices to facilitate roping slaughter. And I think that um, much of the outrage in Australia hasn't been directed at Indonesia. It's been directed to what we were covering up in our live export industry. Are you ever accused of being culturally insensitive or, or focusing on a first world problem in that sense? You know, are there people who say, well, this is part of our culture to deal with animals this way? No, I haven't faced that accusation because our work has actually led to significant changes in different countries, including I work um, in Jordan with the royal family there and very close with um, one of the king's sisters. And by exposing animal cruelty in that country, we've actually been able to introduce pre-slaughter stunning for the first time in the Middle East. So some of my closest friends are now from the Middle East and, and certainly in Indonesia. What's happened is that it's actually created an awakening about the conditions in their slaughterhouses there. The media followed the story and that with the same interest that it was followed in Australia and now the president there has ordered an inquiry into his slaughterhouses. Stunning is going to be more widely accepted, which I think goes to show that if you're going to change things, you've got to expose it and you've actually got to say something's wrong before anyone will take notice and things will change. It also, I think, goes to show that the media is a key part of, the, of, of what you do here. You Most know, definitely. Four Corners were, were important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all credit to Four Corners because I don't think that story would have made it onto commercial television because animal cruelty stories don't rate because nothing makes people turn the, the channel quicker, which is an, an interesting conundrum that you know we face in this field, that people do care but don't want to know. So the Four Corners program you know, had it probably it's one of its lowest ratings during the year, but every single Australian within a day knew about Four Corners because of the scale of what was revealed on there. That's interesting because when our Sunday program did the story that Russell was referring to previously about the, uh, the pig, the treatment of you know, pigs and sour crates, um, rated phenomenally and uh, rate, you know, on a commercial network with follow-up stories. One thing I've noticed, though, having researched this area before, is that you have a story 10 years ago showing exactly the same thing, sow crates. You have a story 10 years later. You know, they, they both get an outcry at the time, but people forget, don't they? What's the risk of that happening here? I don't think it will happen um, with Indonesia. I think we've frightened the industry, our own industry, to the extent that they know they're on their last chance and they know that if I was to go back there and document similar, that their industry would end forever. So unfortunately, when you work in this field, you work the fear factors and it's very seldom changes that is changes motivated for the right reason. It's usually motivated by fear of financial loss and, and it shouldn't be the case. But I have no doubt that if we, as animal charities, were able to keep these issues in front of the public consistently, um, such as the sow crate issue or the battery hen issue, things would change. Our problem is that as charities we, we never have the funding necessary to keep them, the issues in front of people, and I, I think that's part of the challenges we face. The difference also here being that you're not trying to influence consumer behaviour in Australia, are you, like, as often happens with the sow crate or the battery hen issue. How did you create the pressure then for the industry to change if there was no internal consumer pressure? Um, are you talking about the uh, live, live trade? Live, the, live, yeah, the live exports. Simply because they knew that the government support was wavering to the extent that they wouldn't get another chance. I mean, we have exposed terrible cruelty in different importing markets and 
And, you know, our Prime Minister received 110,000 emails within 24 hours of that program going to air. So, again, you know, the government responds as to where they think the voters are uh, looking. And so uh, there's no doubt that there is some um, huge concern within the government. I was in Parliament House for the next four weeks after Four Corners. And so we're, we're dealing with the pollies and, and everyone, you know, not a single person was not appalled to the extent that they were having nightmares through what was revealed. Are people sometimes surprised when they meet you because you do not look like the archetype of an animal rights activist, do you? You don't, you don't have, have you a don't, nose piercing. A nose piercing or a tattoo was the quote, wasn't it? <laughs> I, um, I promise you that there are industries in Australia which uh, wish that I did look like the archetypal um, and wish too that I hadn't been a police officer because obviously I come to this with um, the background of a career that's very difficult to attack and it's the way that I operate too in regards to um, presenting evidence factually and, and so I've been a big thorn in certainly the live export industry side but um, um, you know we come in all shapes and sizes but representing animals I take as an enormous responsibility as well. There is that paradox as I mentioned before between supplying animals that end up dying anyway. Are there people in, within the animal rights movement who uh, are critical that you're not going far enough that by we're still exporting animals for slaughter that meat is murder full stop? Mm. Oh, look, no matter what you do, you attract criticism. The, you know, the RSPCA in Australia who have been very supportive of this campaign are being accused by producers of being too radical because they're voicing concern about a trade that, at a policy level that they have um, been opposed to for years. And the other extent is that, yes, we've got people that would be saying, well, why just don't you say that animals shouldn't be killed at all? But, you know, my goal is to end animal cruelty and strategically and as quickly as possible. And, and obviously with this industry, um, for it to be replaced at a government level, it will require um, chilled meat to be sent as an alternative. What's next? Well, there's still a lot of work to be done on this, I have to say. I wish um, animal cruelty, I could see an end to it on the horizon, but even in both our countries, there's re really very few working at a professional level in animal advocacy, and um, there's so much still to be done. I do get the feeling, though, that you feel that you are making progress, that there are things you can tick off. Would that be the case? I think that our work, um, when we did the pig crate issue too over the last couple of years and now live export has shown, I mean, I haven't lost faith in, in our ability to create change because I do believe that most people care deeply about the welfare of animals, but we've just had to go to extraordinary lengths consistently to keep revealing the problems. And then, you know, the key then is to rather than get people turned away, to empower them as to what they need to do to help to create change. So that's an ongoing process. Oh, well, Lynn White, best of luck with that and thank you for your time. Absolute pleasure. That's Lynn White. Coming up after the break, we find out what an ancient divining rod has got to do with a good time in Auckland, and we take part in the zine scene.